you may be seated. Wonderful. Such beautiful, beautiful lyrics you guys are singing in praise this morning. Uh, this morning, as I said, I want to deal with several issues which arose after Christmas, since we're after Christmas now. And there's only one, really one passage in the Bible that deals with this after Christmas issue. In particular, I'll show you what issues arose with Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Uh, specifically, conflict that arose within the family. Stay with me. As children now become teenagers. Now, if you've raised a kid or two or five, uh, around Cornerstone, we're fairly prolific uh, producers and reproducers. And uh, if you've raised children, uh, you know there's some challenges. There's some two and three year old challenges. Uh, there's some 12, 13, 14 year old challenges. There, there's some. Maybe one more little high school issue you, you, you have there. And then they go off to college and then the relationship changes a little bit. But the challenges don't stop. Now the challenges become really financial. Living in that phase right now, people always would tell Susan and I, you know, when we, we didn't ha yet have kids, they would tell us, oh, diapers and formula and la, la, la. Having a baby so expensive. Having a college student blows it out of the water. You know what I'm saying, Mr. Smith? Uh, so uh, just prepare yourselves well. There are several phases, and I'll talk a little bit about parenting this morning, but more about the relationship aspect. I want you, again, to not be yourself this morning, and it's quite a challenge, and I want you to walk in Mary and Joseph's sandals a little bit, or maybe, if you can this morning, project yourself into Jesus' little sandals and try to understand what he's dealing with in this human family. Remember at Christmas God became what he was not. God was not human. But as the New Testament opens, we are presented now with God has become human. What a twist on the story that is. The creator has become like the creation in order to win our redemption and restore the brokenness of planet earth and the people who inhabit it there's some struggles and the the gospel writers are predominantly silent on the struggles Matthew gives you a little glimpse as we'll see this morning about the struggle as Jesus as an adolescent about to become a teenager for us this morning I, I think this week uh, that's coming most of you have vacation you're taking a lot of you are off this week few of you have to work but this week, at this, between the holidays here, really becomes a time for most families to be together, to rest, to relax, to take some vacation days, to enjoy family a little longer. But I want to challenge you to use this week also as not only a time to rest and maybe get healthy, but a time to think forward about the, the year ahead. Think about what's coming. Think about the challenges that might be there. Think about, uh, there's this TV commercial uh, where it's about the Heisman Trophy candidates. I think, uh, uh, help me out just a minute. Got Tim Tebow driving. Who, who's in the passenger seat? Oh, it's Kyler, uh, Kyler Murray's in the passenger seat. And he says, I'm working on my anticipation, if you've seen this commercial. And every time Tim Tebow starts to ask a question, he just gets cut off by uh, Kyler Murray. He answers the question just like that. In some ways, I want you to walk in those cleats for a minute. Can you anticipate a little bit about what is coming in the future? Health is coming. Back to some normalcy is coming. Back to going to work is coming. Back to going to school is in our future. And as we start to anticipate what's coming in the new year, I want you to begin to think about God has some things planned for you. Ladies and gentlemen, let me remind you who are followers of Christ, this is not random. God is in control. He has a will and a plan. He's given us the ability to make decisions. He's made decisions. He's asked us to respond to some of those decisions, to say yes to the will of God. Start trying to think this way as we enter the new year. And I want to just challenge you with this. I know this has been a scary season we've come through. For a lot of people, they've been very nervous. Even A lot of people haven't left the home in months. Let me just remind you, whatever God has planned for you in the coming year, you don't have to get stressed about it. 
whatever he has planned for America, for Fort Worth, for your family, for this church, for us as a community, you do not need to be anxious and stressed about God's plans because God will always provide the means to do his will. And he just keeps showing us that. I wish I had the time to put a microphone into the hands of people who have given so sacrificially in the last 10 days. Because it's just story after story. They sound something like this. I didn't really, you know, I was a little nervous about giving, but I went and gave. And I gave an amount that I thought was a pretty good gift for our family. You know, my boss had told me, no raises, no Christmas bonuses, don't expect any of that this year. But I went ahead and gave. The man who called me and told me this a few weeks ago said, and when I gave the next day, my boss called me into his office, sat me down, and said, I know I told you no Christmas bonus, but here I want to give you a Christmas bonus, and then there's another one coming in the month of January. It was exponentially more than he had given in the offering. I, I could just tell you story after story. People whose bosses said, well, we're not really doing raises this year. And they get called in the last 10 days and said, hey, we're, we're doing better than we expected. We just want to give you a little blessing. I wish I could tell you the stories about people in our church whose bosses told them, listen, you know this is a tough situation. We're going to ask you to work overtime, but you're not going to get paid for it. Only to get called right back in a few weeks later and their boss say, you know, we, we know what we told you, but listen, we're doing better than expected. We want to get paid for all that back overtime you've been working. I can just tell you a story after story that have happened just 10 days fresh in this congregation when people begin to give God began to remind us I will provide the means to do my will when we left the family of Jesus let me see if I can hook the trailer up to last week we left the family of Jesus last week there in Bethlehem when we celebrated Christmas here we had them in Bethlehem and the Magi were coming to visit them and I want you to remember that King Herod He's already assembled the executioners. And he's told the wise men, the magi, when you find Jesus, let me know. Text me the address, and I'll be right down there with my Christmas gift. His Christmas gift was a swordsman to kill the rival king. Listen, they all know it's not just a king. They all know it's the promised Messiah. That's what they're dealing with. And they're willing to kill the Savior of the world if he's a threat to the throne and the, and the power and the material control of the country. The Magi know the king's nuts after having visited with him privately in an audience, which is revealed. They know he's not all there. They all know his reputation. The wise men come and give the gifts. They find baby G or child Jesus, probably two-year-old Jesus, in the home in Bethlehem where Joseph and Mary have restarted and now live for a couple of years. Joseph goes to bed. The angel of the Lord is going to appear to him in a dream now. The angel is going to say to Joseph, okay, grab your go bag. When you wake up from this dream, I want you to grab the bug out kit. I want you to get the, you know what I'm talking about, where the money and the stuff is. I want you to grab the bag. I want you to get Mary out of bed and bundle up little Jesus. And I want you out of town under cover of darkness tonight. Because God knows what's going on. He's already planned for it, already saw it, already provided for it. And the reason the Magi showed up today with the money, and the reason I'm telling you now is because the executioners are riding towards Bethlehem. Get out now. Let me read it from the scripture, Matthew 2, verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Watch these words. Get up. Get up. Urgent message from heaven get up he said and take the child and his mother notice this word escape that's a whole nother world then get up and let's go on a trip escape is a whole nother word escape means get out now escape means something bad's about to happen to escape 
from what's coming to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. Notice these specific instructions. Get up, get a child, grab money, get the bag, go, escape. Go here, stay here this long. I'll let you know what to do next. As you need to know, the directions will come. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he, Joseph, got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt. Make a good TV drama, wouldn't it? Make a good, I, I, in my mind, I've got this picture, it's just flipping as I'm telling the story. Now, what's often missed in the narrative is what I talked about last week. The Magi, who they are, is significant. So they're kingmakers, they're the electoral college of the Eastern world. And when they've certified the king by bowing on their knees before him and presenting him the gifts, the coronation has happened and he is certified line of David, the Messiah, the king the world has been looking for. But there's another subplot here. They present to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The scripture says they opened their treasures. What's often missed in the story is that you have to have resources to survive on the run. Now again, think, think TV drama. Think novel that you've read. Think, think, think about the, the, the books and stories that you're familiar with. You have to have money to, to live a life on the run incognito. Now here's the way it looks in some of the books I read. The guy opens his safety deposit box. There's four passports in there, all with different names in different countries. There's a stack of cash. There's credit cards in multiple. You understand what I'm saying? You have to have resources in order to go down and get an airplane ticket, a bus ticket, cab fare, an Uber, a place to live. You have to have resources. When they get to Egypt and restart the business, you have to go buy some lumber to start making furniture or houses or whatever it is that Joseph made with his skill. He had to leave behind his DeWalt and his Makita. You see what I'm saying? The router was too heavy to carry. All he could take was his hammer and a hand saw. You couldn't take everything you had. They're on the run. And so you're going to have to purchase that stuff again when you get there. And so when you're reading the Christmas story, the angel's like, drop everything and get out. You've got to just pretend like, okay, I'm in Fort Worth, Texas. God appears to me, says, grab your wife, grab the child, get in the car and go. Well, you have to ask yourself, as I go, can I stop at Bucky's and fill the tank? You see what I'm saying? What are we going to use for resources? And in this story, how would two peasants, and I say that with love, some of the most wonderful people I know are peasants. I say peasant, I mean simple people who live a simple life in a simple bamboo or mud house. And if you said pull all your resources together, there wouldn't be as much maybe as you've got in your wallet right now. Simple people live a simple day-to-day life. These peasants didn't have but a few shekels to rub together. How are they going to care for the Son of God on the run from a king of a country with an army and a CIA and an FBI and and an NSA eavesdropping on their conversations and tracking them? How are they going to get away? Well, what the little subplots in the story are the gifts of the Magi, the gifts, the treasure, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh becomes the resources, the safety deposit box so that they can do everything that God is directing Joseph and Mary to do. The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, I mean, you, you guys who grew up in church, you know what this is. For those of you who didn't, they're very uh, gold. You know what gold is. They're all gifts for a king, but the frankincense and the myrrh are spices. But let me make it a little more real to you. Frankincense and myrrh, to your equivalent, would be Coco Chanel number five. Uh, I got the Christmas list finally from the boys. One of them threw down on the Christmas list. I'd like a, maybe some cologne for Christmas. So I respond back and said, can you text me what cologne you would like for Christmas? Yeah, it's a Dior Sauvage or something, $99 a bottle. I don't think so. Who do you think I am? I'm a peasant, like Joseph and Mary. You know what I'm saying? I don't think so. Anyway, what I'm saying is you live in a world where you can understand there are scents, there are perfumes, there are ointments that are highly uh, 
costly, very costly, and small, and easy to transport. They're on the run. And they cross cultures because they're going to, you know, what smells good in Paris may not smell good in Fort Worth, Texas. I mean, we might like Cowtown number six, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but whatever that was, it was transportable across cultures and, and, and below. Anyway, what I'm saying to you is God provided them right on time. The funds arrived the day God's asking them to bug out. Everything they need to live their life in the coming months and years is going to be given to them as a gift from the Magi via God sending them. Highly valuable. Let me use this word. Very liquid. And I'm not talking about viscosity now. I'm talking convertible to cash. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. The frankincense and the myrrh, I say spices, but it's lost on us if I say spices. Because you're thinking, well, you know, some oregano. It's not like that. It's more like Chanel number no. 5 that you could go to any marketplace. And think about this too. You don't have to sell it all at once because of what it is. You could pour a little bit out, sell that. Imagine if the wise men gave them a gallon of that. And you've priced parfum, haven't you? Not the odd day toilette, the parfum. And you know, it's like an ounce and a half for $100 or whatever. Imagine if the wise men gave them a significant quantity of that, like the Costco size of that or something, you know what I'm saying? And they could just, along the way, hey, we need, we need a couple hundred bucks. Joseph says, no problem, I'll pour up a little Coco Chanel, we'll take it down the market and sell an ounce of it. Listen, they lived on that, gifts of the Magi, because God had already provided the means to do his will when he asked them to go do his will. Now, the application to us is very simple. I'm asking you as your pastor to step out by faith, not knowing what 21 looks like. Just go ahead and say to God this morning, the answer is yes. Whatever your will for our family, whatever you want us to do, whoever I can witness to, whoever I can invest in, whatever disciples I can make. Listen, many of you are going to go to the mission field this year. We're going to spend a few weeks together training and winning and, and, and investing. Listen, whatever opportunity God presents you with, I want you to be willing to say yes to God. And I know as I'm asking you to anticipate, I, I realize I put you in a conflict because none of us can really predict what the year will bring. So let me make a prediction that's certain. What we can predict with absolute certainty is that God will be with us and his resources will be available to us. And since I know those two things, I can go ahead and say yes to God because I know he's going to be with us and he's going to be caring for us. Our challenge is simply to live by faith and step by faith and take the next step that God presents to us. Which brings me to my next thought this morning. God provides directions one step at a time. Now, I don't know whether to hate this about God or to love this about God. I'm in conflict on this because God's always asking me to live by faith and it's not in my nature to want to live by faith. I want to live by sight. I want to live by seeing and touching and knowing and, you know, I want it to be certain. I don't, I, I don't want there to be an element of faith, yet God requires me to live trusting His goodness and His provision. See, God wants you to trust that He's going to be good. Can we all leave here this morning and believe in our hearts that God's going to be good? It's going to be good to our family. It's going to be good to us. It's going to care for us. He's good. He wants us to believe the best and he wants us to trust by faith. He provides direction one step at a time. So when you apply this to Joseph and Mary, what it looks like is this. is God did not present Joseph and Mary with a parenting syllabus. You know what a syllabus is. First day class teacher hands this. This is what's going to happen all year long. For the whole semester, here's what you can expect. 
On this date, this will be due. On this date, this will be due. On this date, this will be... Here are the dates in bold, and these are the things you're going to have to get done and the benchmarks you're going to have to meet. And that's really what I crave from God a lot in my Christian walk. Can you just send me the syllabus of what I'm facing for the next few months, and I'll be sure to show up, get the bolded things done, and meet the minimum requirements, and we'll all be good. And God will not let us live that way. He will not show us the whole thing. He requires us to step by faith. God doesn't present any of us with a roadmap of our lives with the major events highlighted in bold. Remember that. None of us. So if you're struggling with that, saying, gosh, I just really wish God would show me like he shows the pastor or the elders, he shows none of us the big events that are coming. We just have to step by faith. Notice in the text how God simply guided them to the next thing and said, I'll be back later to tell you the rest. He just guided them one step at a time. He said, for this step, he said, now you're in Bethlehem. The next step is grab your bag. We're going to Egypt. You always want to see the pyramids. Come on, let's go. Let's turn it into something fun. Family road trip. We'll see the Sphinx in a few days. We'll have a great time. We'll start a new business, maybe some scuba diving in the Red Sea. It'll all be great. Let's turn it into an adventure. And then in a few years, God would lead them, we know from the story, back to Israel, to Nazareth, to the northern part of the country. And in Nazareth, they would start over yet again to build a family, raise a family, relaunch a business. Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. And after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. You see the recurring themes here. Get up. Let's go. Not next month. I mean, it's time. The road is clear. Herod is dead. The runway is open. You can land on nine right. Let her go. And he gets, he's telling them when the next step comes, everything to do. Now, I'm going to challenge you with this. What do you do between the steps? You see what I'm saying? God tells him to go to Bethlehem. From Bethlehem to Egypt, from Egypt back to Nazareth. But you don't get a lot of direction from God between the steps. What do you do? You just be faithful. And you do what you're there to do while you're there to do it. And know when the next step comes, God will tell you the next step. For those of you who are trying to discover yourself and find the future and know what's next, that's a real thing. But until God shows you what's next, just keep doing what you're doing. Just be faithful. Be consistent, love, make disciples, worship God, love your family, build your business. You see what I'm saying? Just do what you know to do faithfully. When God wants you to make the next step, he'll be very clear. He'll get in here in your heart and start working through the Holy Spirit, and he will not let you rest until you are very clear on what the next step for your family is. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead, King Herod. So he got up, verse 21, and he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. And when he had heard that Archelaus, this is the offspring of Herod, Archelaus did reign in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Even though God said go, the son now sits on the throne, the father's dead, and Joseph says, Yikers, the son's nuts as his father. I know this guy. I've been reading the papers about this guy while in Egypt. He's on CNN every night in Egypt. Another nut job running the country. And even though God said go, now Joseph is afraid to go. He's like, and I know, I know you guys are way more spiritually mature than Joseph. Because when God tells you to do something, you never push back and say, are you sure? I know you never do that. But that's what's happening. This is a very human relatable moment for you and me because this is exactly what we do now god says okay here is the next step you you've been you you've been faithfully doing what you're doing now i'm going to ask you to make a big move and then we're like oh god are you sure see we're we are in conflict we want god to tell us every move to make then when he tells us a move to make we push back isn't that crazy but that's who we are i want to know everything god okay i'll show you something no not that God, are you crazy? The son's nuts as the father. You're going to get us all killed, God. No, God knows. So anyway, Joseph's scared to go back into Bethlehem around Jerusalem, around the palace area. So you'll see what happens here. 
So let me get, pick up with verse 22. When he heard Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he's afraid to go there. Judea, southern Israel, around Jerusalem, Bethlehem. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. That's the very extreme north of Israel. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what is said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, my whole point in this section is just to communicate to you that God does not give any of us a clear picture of our entire future. Instead, God asks us to walk by faith. He promises to be with us. He promises to provide for us. And He, just one step at a time, and our responsibility is just to walk with God one step at a time. Many of you, one of the first verses you memorized or passages you memorized was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I want to read this out of the NLT, New Living Translation, because it's so beautifully worded. Let's see if it just gives you a little clarity on the issue. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. That's a verse we need to live by this week. We're about to step into a new year. You say, well, I've got to get it all figured out. No, you don't have to figure anything out. You just have to trust in the Lord. And he's going to show you where to step, where to go, which path to take as we move forward. Which brings me to my next thought. God helps us establish new rhythms. All of us live life in a rhythm. You get up. Like, like for me, I get up. Susan's singing and dancing through the house. I'm not a morning person. I want coffee, strong, black, and lots of it before anybody talks to me. It's our rhythm. She'll be up singing, happy, you know. Last few mornings I got up, she's outside in the backyard in her pajamas, throwing the ball for the dog, having a great Christmas time. And I'm just like, where's the coffee? You know what I'm saying? It's our rhythm. And we have a rhythm as the day goes that we live out. You know, we have a gym time that we go to the gym and work out. We have time when we eat our meals. We have a time when we go to bed. We have rhythms. And it's not just a daily routine. We have a weekly routine. You know what our Sunday rhythm looks like? I guess you can guess, right? <laughs> Do you all ever wake up on Sunday morning or Saturday night when you're going to bed and say, I wonder if pastor's going to be at church tomorrow. Hmm. I wonder if pastor's, you know... Been in the Word this week, ready to speak to, you know, what God has spoken to you. And the reason you don't question that's not because I'm super holy. It's just because I have a rhythm. And we live our rhythm, Susan and I do. And, and sometimes we change our rhythm. We add new things into our schedule and say, hey. And then I remember a couple of years ago we said, hey, we've we got to get back to the gym consistently. So three times a week, as much as the pandemic would allow, we were in the gym, you know, this year, about three times a week, all year long, trying, trying to stay with a new rhythm. We wanted to establish a new rhythm, you know. One year, we said, hey, we're going to establish a new rhythm. You guys know this about us. So we're going to dance lessons every Tuesday night, and we're going to learn to, you know, tango or whatever. We just made that part of our rhythm because we wanted to spend more time together on, on like a date night deal. What all I'm saying to you is you don't have to be like us, but challenge yourself you're about, to, you're about to have a chance for a new, fresh calendar. What rhythms need to be a part of that? When we think about all that we've lived through in the last nine months, we know the shutdown forced us all to slow down. I mean, most, most all of us lived more in our home. Let me just be frank. I think I spent more time in my home in the last nine months than I have in the last several years. I mean, I was sitting there on that couch that just swallows you when you sit down on it because it's all broken down. And I sat on it for nine months, and one day I just, Susan came in the room, and she's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, this couch is crap. We're getting rid of it. <laughs> I mean, maybe you've been to my house and sat in my couch, and you hated every minute of it. Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know what I'm saying? My point is, I hadn't spent enough time on it to know that it was way expired, Okay. We just spent more time in our home than we've spent in our home in a long time. Well, what I'm saying is I don't think, I don't think God gave us a pandemic to sh slow us all down. I'm not sure I can say that. I don't, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think it's that. 
But what I'm saying this morning is through many different means, God sometimes interrupts the rhythm of our life and asks us to, hey, would you think about starting a new rhythm in your life? Maybe something needs to change in your life. I think starting a new year is a great time for us to ask this question. God, what new rhythms do you want me to establish? And you know what he might say to you is, how about getting back to a regular time in the word with me? You know, that kind of slipped in these nine months. What God might say to you is, hey, when you get up with that cup of coffee, could you say hi to me in the morning? I'd love to hear from you for a few minutes. You've gotten out of that rhythm. Maybe before you pillow your head at night, could you just say goodnight to me? I'd love to hear from you. you you've just gotten out of that rhythm. Listen, for all of you watching remotely, I have put zero pressure on you to be here. Zero, because I don't think it's right to pressure anyone in this mess. It's very hard to make decisions about what's best for your family. So you do what's best for your family, but at some point, you're going to have to come out of hiding. At some point. And you're going to have to establish yet a new rhythm. Because you can't live as a hermit in your home forever. And I don't know what that point is. After you get vaccinated, I mean, a great number. Listen, if I'd asked two months ago, how many of you know somebody personally in your family or close friend who's had COVID? I didn't, we didn't know but one family. One family in six months that I know of right here in our context. If I asked that question this morning, every hand would go up. That's how things have changed in 30 days. So I just want to say to you, we're going to have new rhythms in the next coming weeks and months. Be open to that. Be open to that. Be open to what God is wanting. God, what new rhythms do you want me to establish? And we're going to have to find what those rhythms are. Whether it's something you're doing already or something new you need to pick up. The goal is this. A closer relationship with God and a closer relationship with other followers of Christ. And you're going to have to ask yourself, are you be, am I being intentional to grow closer to God? Closer in my relationships. Who am I investing in? For, these, for Jesus, what I want you to get is he's human now. God's human. And for Jesus, the same is true. I think one of the most fascinating statements now, we're, we're in the only passage now, Luke chapter 2, that talks about from Bethlehem to the baptism of Jesus. This is it. Luke 2. Watch what it says in verse 40. And the child, Jesus, grew. For some reason, we don't ever think about this. We just imagine Jesus as a full-grown man with full maturity and, you know, and full, full, fully mature everything. We don't think about he's human and has to grow up. Has to go through all of that growing pains and discover, he's growing up to be a man. And Jesus grew and he became strong and he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Now I want you to apply that to you after Christmas. You say, what do I need to do after Christmas? Same thing Jesus did, grow. This is growing season coming up for us. Whole month of January is going to be about just talking through discipleship with you. Let's make sure we're all on the same page as we get new rhythms of discipleship going and get back into the groove. Some things you do to grow are like reading and studying and being challenged. Some are internal changes. Some type of growth that's coming in your future are things you ask God for through prayer, like wisdom, favor, blessing, growth, to increase your love. Some growth comes through actions. Some growth comes through actions. Things you step out by faith and do, like joining a discipleship, like committing to lead a group, like joining a Bible study, like intentionally investing in your co-workers, friends, and neighbors. What I want to say is this is your year. As you face this year, I want you to think, this is my year. And the, the step that God is asking you to take is the step that leads to your very best future. And now, we're almost there now, just a few days I always think the turning of this calendar page is the time to establish new rhythms in our lives. Maybe you've been waiting for the right time to make some changes. I know that's human nature. You're like, you know what we need, you know what we need to do? So 
And what we're saying is there's going to come a day when we need to do something different. Yeah, today's the day. Today's the day. If you've been saying, you know, some point I need to make some changes in my life. Now's the day. This is it. This is your week right here. Which leads me to say this morning, now we come to Jesus turning a teenager and the challenges of parenting. Let me talk to the parents because we're a very young church. have lots of parenting questions always. Jesus knew who his father was. This is not a mystery. And you'll read sometimes in a book where Jesus is, you know, 30 years old trying to discover who he is. Forget that. Jesus knows who his father is and the hints are dropped along the way. And right here is the bombshell that's dropped. Jesus knows who his father is even though the rest of the world doesn't except for Joseph and Mary. Further, Jesus at 12 years old knows what his mission is. And as Jesus grew and gained independence, stay with me parents, as Jesus grew and gained independence, this now creates parenting challenges for Mary and Joseph. I, as I read the story here and I try to get into the, the, the setting, I'm always asking myself, was Jesus an easy boy to raise? Was Jesus a compliant child? And the answer I come away with, you may come away with a different answer, but the answer I always come away with is, yeah, he doesn't look that compliant when I read this passage. I don't think so. He was sinless. And you may think, well, raising a sinless kid, a boy who's never used inappropriate language and, and, and this and that, boy, that would be a breeze, wouldn't it? Raising a kid who never lies, or that'd be such a pleasure. Yeah, but let me spin that and show you the other side of that coin. Imagine raising a child who's always right. How would you like to be corrected every time you opened your mouth, mom and dad? You know? <laughs> and the kid is always correct and you're always wrong. Now you may think yourself somewhat of a parenting expert. I think most people do when they're young and, and starting out. But then you have a child of your own. You may think you're a parenting expert, but then you have a kid. That's what I want to say. And when you have a child of your own, a lot of what you thought you knew goes right out the window. Parenting is far more difficult than it looks from a distance. It's easy to look even at another family. You've got your kids, they've got their kids, and you're like, well, if I was the parent of those kids, I would this, this, this. Yeah, until you have those kids, it's hard to say what you'd do. Things are very unique in every home. And we can fancy ourselves to be experts on this, but it's far more difficult than it looks. Mary and Joseph, for example, did not have parenting all mapped out, as I said. Jesus would be their first. And listen, when you have your first kid, you don't know anything. I mean, what you think you know, you don't know. I mean, you just don't know. When your people try to tell you what it's going to be like not to get sleep. People can tell you what it's like to have a, a, a colicky baby. People can tell you what it's like to be scared. People can tell you what it's like to have a baby with asthma or some other issue. People can tell you what it's going to be like, but until you live it, you just don't know. Jesus was their first, and in my opinion, he would be their most difficult child to raise. Because when you read the story, you're only given hints, and it's only one passage in the Bible, but it appears that Jesus was a very strong-willed child. And I've said this to you before in some of our parenting classes. How does one parent a strong-willed child? And the answer is with equally strong-willed parents. Now, you may have had a strong-willed one. You may have had one you had to beat half to death just to get them to comply. And then you may have one that you just look at and talk to and they turn into tears and obey. They're all different. But Jesus was a strong-willed child. And so this tells me something about Mary and Joseph. How this is going to look moving forward. I don't want you to think of Mary and Joseph as characters in a story. They're not character, caricatures of Christmas. These are real people. This is a young girl in her teens probably. This is a man who's a few years older or maybe somewhat older. It's their first child. 
But these are not pious, quiet, fo- quiet folks who walk around in robes with halos. I mean, you see them in the art and they're just like, you know, just like holy, the holy couple or whatever. These are hard-working, real people. This is the bravest couple you've ever met. Courageous, bold. They've gone against culture. They've gone against tradition. These are risk-takers. They've been hunted by an insane king. They leave in their wake in the previous cities a trail of massacred children behind them. They've had to be resourceful when there was no room for them and no place for them. They've had to deliver their own baby when there was no one to help them. They fled their country. They've been refugees. They've been incognito. They've started over three or four or five times now. I want to say to you this. If you, when you look forward to 2021, you're like, okay, I lost my job. We have several church members who lost their job recently. And I'm going to, 21 for me looks like starting over. And it may for many families listening to this message this morning. 21 looks like starting over. Listen, that's okay. The people in the Bible had to start over multiple times. Here's my promise. God will help you. God will be with you. His resources will be available to you. These wonderful, strong parents now have to face conflict in their own home. Now it's not an external fight with King Herod or something like that. Now the conflict comes from within the home as they're trying to raise their family. No doubt you have the same conflicts as they had. Because Jesus came into conflict with his parents. Now I know you're thinking, well, Jesus and Mary and Holy and, and all of the, No, there's no way they ever had a crossword in their home. These are people! Like you and I. I want to get that through to you. They're raising children. A bunch of children. I'm going to show you. Their oldest child's about to become a teenager. You don't think they had drama in their home? They had drama. Trust me. I'm reading from Luke 2.41. Every year Jesus' parents went to to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. Every male is uh, commanded to attend with gifts. 43, after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. That's just written so beautifully right there. You can, you're going to have to unpack that. For, for, you're going to have to sit and contemplate on that for an hour. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Read the rest of it. But they were unaware of it. Let me see if I can set the scene. When they travel for the big three feasts, they travel in family caravans community caravans they're in a caravan with all of their kinfolk and they travel down from nazareth or all their communities travel down from nazareth all the way to the length of israel almost down to jerusalem and they're going to go keep the feast of the passover it lasts one week so you have to stay down there for one week while all the ceremonies going on it's huge festival it's not like 50 people showed up i'm talking hundreds of thousands listen to what i'm saying every jewish male was commanded to appear at the big three feasts at the temple in Jerusalem. They bring their family with them. Any, it, it'd be like saying, okay, we're going to have a festival in America, and here in Fort Worth is going to be where the festival's held. Every family in America is required to attend. What would Fort Worth look like for a week? I mean, it'd be pure pandemonium. I'm talking, you think 35 looks bad right now. You think you can't get into a restaurant right now. You can't find toilet paper right now. Imagine when a million people show up. That's what it was. And that, of course, Jerusalem loved it because they made cha-ching. I mean, they made a killing on sacrifices and T-shirts and popsicles and burritos and street tacos and guacamole. And I mean, you know, everything. They eat in Israel. And uh, they thought it was the greatest thing ever. What, What I'm saying now is they're traveling in a caravan. They're going to stay a week. Jesus is 12. Mary and Joseph now have more than Jesus. they got a whole bunch of kids in tow. Now, I know some churches teach about Mary being a perpetual virgin and this and that. The Bible does not support that. Let me just read something for you. Mary, Mary and Joseph, we know, had other children, at least four brothers to Jesus. There'd be five boys, five boys, and at least two girls. Now, you're doing the math. That's at least seven kids. Let me read the passage. Mark 6, 3, when they come to find Jesus, he's now a grown man, his ministry started, but listen to the verse. Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of 
Let's start counting. James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Are not his sisters here also? What do sisters imply? At least two, plus Jesus. That's seven. And if there's more than two sisters, maybe ten. Seven to ten kids. I'm just throwing ten out because if you're going to have five boys, you might as well balance it with five girls. There's at least seven of them. Do we have any church members that have seven kids? McMurdo, what do y'all got? Six. Six. Wow, I can't imagine. Seven. Seems like ten. Okay, I, I buy that. What I'm saying is, Mary and Joseph, before you get mad at them and say, why can't you keep up with your kids? There's seven of them we know about. They're in a caravan, traveling down, traveling back. You don't have these kids strapped into a car seat in a minivan. Y'all are traveling in a company of dozens, scores, maybe hundreds of people moving up and down the streets as all of Israel converges on Jerusalem. When Jesus was 12 years old, now I want you to think in the world of no birth control for a minute. When Jesus was 12 years old, I would say probably most of those seven had been born. Is that fair? Maybe 10. But when they were traveling in this passage to Jerusalem and back, Jesus would have been this, it was 12, 6th grade? About 6th grader? Something like that, 7th grader? Jesus would have been in, you know, middle school. And behind Jesus as they traveled, running and playing and having a grand old time, would have been stair-step boys and girls following Jesus and the family as they went in caravan. Uncles, aunts, cousins, neighbors, everybody you know. And there's security in that. Imagine if we all took a trip together and said, hey, let's, you know, let's walk over to Mikosina this afternoon. Well, you know what would happen with your kids? They'd be all just mixed together and running in the middle of us as we all moved in a group. That's the setting here. Luke 2, 44, here it comes. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Now they're returning home, back to where they live, festival's over. They traveled for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Now here's the math. They've traveled a day out of Jerusalem, somewhere at, you know, whatever, Bucky's or whatever, they pulled over. And they said, hey, let's do a quick head count. One, two, three, four, five, six. We're one short. They've traveled for a day on foot. What's a day on foot? Is that 15, 20 miles maybe? A day on foot, they do a head count. Now, don't be mad at them. You've lost your kids too. Or you will. They traveled a day, did a head count. They're one short and holy mackerel. Which one did we lose? Mary, mother of disappearing Jesus. <laughs> Which one did we lose? The very one God sent for us to take care of. Can you imagine the sheer terror? We could lose Judas or James or somebody, Mary Jr. here. Please, somebody take them. But we lost Jesus. The one God, the special child, God gave us to keep safe. Now, if you've ever lost a child, now I'm not mean permanently, I mean temporarily, it's sheer terror for a few minutes. Sheer terror. Eventually, you'll lose your kid in Target or Walmart. Maybe not now in the day of, you know, Velcroing them into a buggy and a, keeping them safe. But once they get mobile and on their feet, you're going to lose a kid somewhere along the way. I've told you before, we, we, we came in separate cars. I, I usually come a little before Susan when we lived right down the street here. I'd come one car, she'd come the other car a little bit later. We both went home and we're making dinner and we were like, the church was over, we both went home. I'm like, it's awful quiet. She's like, well, where are the boys? I'm like, I don't know. Didn't you bring them home? No, didn't you bring them home? They were, they were sitting here at church. We were all at home. All of we, You know what I'm saying? Uh, I can tell that story now because you know, child protective services can't get them. They're grown men, but... Uh, Eventually, they get under the racks and play hide-and-go-seek, right? Anybody live that story? And they're in the racks, and you're trying to shop, and you're content to let them be in the racks, hidden up under the clothes, because you just like five minutes to just pick out an outfit, you know? 
And so just play for a minute, and I'm going to look, and then you realize that you have no idea where they're at. And so, you know, eventually you have to go to customer service. And customer service is going to ask you this question. What are they wearing? I don't know what they're wearing. You know? You know? And they get on, What's more embarrassing? Uh, do we have any, we have any Brenna Smith in the store? Brenna Smith, please. Uh, or, or they get on the microphone and say, we have your kid. You know, anyway, it'll happen eventually. It's a thing that happens. And I don't know if you've ever heard these words. Honey, I think I left my purse at the restaurant. Or we, we find stuff here. When y'all leave this morning, we'll find purses and watches and cell phones. And we just keep all that stuff take pawn shop. But um, <laughs> we'll, we find all kinds of stuff here because you leave stuff. And, you know, we may get a phone call 30 minutes after we dismiss this service. Say, Pastor, I think my thing's at the church. You know what I'm saying? We're all going to be home. We can't get it for you. I'm sorry. Uh, but it's a normal thing that happens. So you're, and what you say, these days it's not just purse. You left my cell phone is the big deal now. Left my cell phone at the restaurant. And I'm not beating up the women. We leave ours all the time too. Because you've already left now. And now it's 10 minutes back. And you're going to kill a half an hour just trying to retrieve the thing. And you're on a schedule and all this and all of that. Mary and Joseph have walked probably 20 miles, a day's journey, back to Jerusalem. This is day two of Jesus being missing. Two days have passed. The scripture says they searched all day. A third day has now passed. Oh, let me just read it. Luke 2.46. And after three days, they didn't just lose their kids for five minutes. They lost Jesus for three days. Now, that's crazy, isn't it? And they found him after three days sitting among the teachers, listening, asking questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, when I read the story, I have so many questions. Here are my questions. Where did he sleep for three days? Where does a 12-year-old sleep for three days without his parents? Does anybody have any? I have no answer for that question. Not a clue. Let me ask you another question, one that's very dear to me. What did Jesus eat for three days? He whipped out his debit card in 15 A.D. You know, you see what I'm saying? He didn't have an iPhone. What did Jesus eat for those three days? And, and so in the story, we see Jesus sitting with the theologians and the rabbis, listening, asking questions, astounding them. And you're like, what's happening here? Well, what's happening here is Jesus is about to become a teenager. He's gaining his independence. Like your kids, he's 12 years old going on 18. That's what's happening in the story. This is a human family. What were you like at 12? What were your kids like at 12? When, when Mary speaks, she is trying to restrain herself. I can see it in the text. I mean, I can just see it. When she speaks to Jesus, she's like, we were losing our minds. What were you thinking, man? Let me read you the text. We'll read this from the CSB, Luke 2.48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Do you realize what we've been through in the last 72 hours? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Reply from adolescent Jesus, why were you searching for me? Why aren't we searching for me? Didn't you know? I mean, you didn't have to search. Didn't you know it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? Now, I want to be human for a minute because these are humans and I'm a human and no disrespect to the Son of God at all. But if I were standing there and Joseph Sandler, I would say, excuse me? Why were we searching for you? Holy mackerel, kid. We know who your real father is. What do you think he'd do to us if we lost you? eternal damnation in the fires of hell, man. Why were we searching for you? Are you kidding me? Now, let me just ask you a question. You be the parent for a minute. You lose your kid for three days. You call the Texas State Troopers. They've activated an amber alert. Every billboard on I-35 says we're looking for fill-in-the-blanks of your kid. You've called the police. 72 hours. 
I just, I'm going to be human for you. In those 72 hours, Mary and Joseph knocked on doors. They, they talked to authorities. They were running through town. Have you seen this kid? Have you seen this kid? Have you seen this kid? Have you seen I mean, things were happening in those 72 hours. They were recruiting help. They were, they were, they, they were going everywhere. Just imagine you've lost your kids. You've called the, the highway patrol, the, the, the sheriff's department of Tarrant County, the whole, and the news channels are saying, we have an Amber Alert. We're looking for a little redheaded girl named Sophia. And uh, she was last seen in Fort Worth, Texas, and, and she's about this tall. And look, here's a picture of her. She's been missing for 72 hours. If you can find her, and then when you find her, she says to you, oh, why were you looking for me? I don't know what your reaction would be. I'll let you just, just, just self-discover here for a moment. What would your reaction be to that? Well, here's what Jesus said. He said, I'm my father's son. I want you to think about that. I'm my father's son. I'm the son of my father. So I'm in my father's house doing his business. Now, it's not as insulting as it seems now the more you pull that thread. Your father and I were going crazy, Mary said. Jesus said, yeah, but my father's business is what I've, not this one, my father, I've been doing my father's business right here in the temple. Everything else must take second, this is a 12-year-old talking to you, sixth grader. Everything else must take second place in my life. The father's will must come first. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 2, verse 50. But they did not understand what he said to them. You talk about parenting challenges. Imagine if your little philosopher at 12 years old is so profound you can't figure out what he's saying. There's such deep meaning and layers to what God's doing in his life. He's speaking with such depth that you're like, Okay, <laughs> okay, do you, do you, Mary, do you have any idea what he's talking about? She said, I think he's talking about his father, father, father. That's what I think's happening here. Yeah, that's, that's the challenges of parenting Jesus. Maybe Jesus was saying to them, I need to be here doing this. It's more important than keeping the family schedule. That'd be hard to hear as a parent, wouldn't it? Maybe Jesus was saying to Mary and Joseph, I remember, Mom and Dad, I have a higher calling. I know you've got seven or eight or ten of us, but I'm different. And I just, I want you to remember, I'm a little different than the other kids. I have a higher calling. Or maybe he's just trying to say to them, Mom and Dad, I love you and didn't mean disrespect, but I'm trying my best to do the will of God for my life. Maybe that's what he was saying. Now just walk, walk in your own sandals for a minute. I realize you're not raising Jesus at your home. I, I get that, parents. But I will ask you to be open to the understanding that God's hand is also upon your child. Grandparents, God's hand is also, I've been watching the pictures of you holding the babies. God's hand's also upon that little child. He has a will for her life. Has a will for your children and grandchildren's life. Keep that in your mind. Do not insist that your child follow a vocation or adult path of your choosing. Let them discover God's will for their life. Your role as parents is to keep them safe, raise them up to love the Lord, help them have access to knowledge and education, and guide them. And let God pull them then into the path he wants them to follow. As you struggle to parent your own sinful children. And children, as you struggle to obey your own sinful parents. There's the challenge, right? Remember, the key from the scripture is for us in the home to love one another. And submit to one another. Mutual submission, mutual love, and Jesus is focused on his mission now in his teen years. Let me close with this. I'm going to ask everyone to follow Christ's example and get on mission. 
In the coming weeks, Pastor David and I and, and Pastor Jeremy are going to talk a lot about discipleship and get us back into the groove again. I, I grew up in the deep south here. We, you know, we, we don't even know what snow is hardly. So we all love to go to Colorado and go snow skiing and see real snow, you know. But growing up in the deep south, you, you, you have some romantic attraction to snow because it's not your lifestyle, you know. And in my romantic notions of the new year, I always imagine the new year to be like that field of freshly fallen snow. There are no footprints. I want you to see it in your mind, stretched out, beautiful field of snow. Maybe the city park with a foot on it. And you're up early with your coffee and you look out there and you're like, there's not a footprint on the snow. To me, that is 2021. Where we're going to walk this week, no one's ever walked. There are no mistakes. There are no accidents ahead of us. Just a field of opportunities. Whatever prints are going to be in the snow, we're about to put them there. Let's be intentional. Let's follow God's will for our lives. Let's be on mission with every step that we take into the future. I want to read you a verse before I close. I want you to see this. Here are the first recorded words of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read from the New King James. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? I want to read it from the NIV. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? You say, which is right? Was he doing his father's business or was he in his father's house? You know what it says in the Greek? It says, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father? There's nothing else if you go look it up. The rest is supplied. Implications. You say, which is right? Was he need to be in his father's house or did he need to be about his father's business? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. As you look at 2021, you're like, well, what do I need to be doing? Well, you need to be like Jesus. You need to be able to say, I'm where God wants me to be and I'm doing what God wants me to do. Our short way of saying that at Cornerstone is I'm on mission. What I want you to do this morning is only one thing. I want you to make a commitment to God this morning that you're going to be on mission. Whatever 21 holds, would you be willing to say to God this morning by faith, trusting in the Lord with all of your under, would you be willing to say this morning, God, whatever the year holds, I want to be on mission. My answer is yes. And let's not wait until we get all grown up and all sophisticated and know all the answers to everything and know all the theological questions and answers before we decide, okay, now I can lead for Jesus. Just go. For wherever you are right now, the only direction is forward. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. God has some new rhythms for you. And some changes that need to be made that you're already aware of. Now the Holy Spirit's maybe just speaking to you a little bit more about that this morning. Things that need to change in your life. Some new rhythms you need to establish. And again, I can give you the easy answers like, you, you know, time in the Word with God. Time talking to God in prayer every day. You know, getting back into the rhythm of worship together here as a family. Getting back into the rhythm of spending an hour or two every week investing in someone else's life as your disciple. Maybe just the rhythm of spending some family time together, the rhythm of loving your spouse and spending that date time together, the rhythm of making some fresh grit, just whatever God speak into your heart. Why don't you just say yes to God this morning? Maybe someone's watching very remotely this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
You don't have to come into a church building to receive Christ as your Savior and be born again. The way you do that is by a simple prayer of faith where you call upon the Lord. The book of Romans says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We're all sinners. You have to know that to be saved. You have to be willing to ask God for forgiveness. And the book of Romans says in chapter 10, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And the way you call upon the name of the Lord is just a prayer of faith from your heart. I can help you word such a prayer. My words aren't magic. There's no special formula, incantation, something like that. It's about you and your heart calling upon Jesus to save you. That's what it means to be forgiven, born again, and adopted into the family of God. If you've never done that, I'm just going to lead you in that prayer. You pray along with me. If you're in your living room or wherever you might be, just bow your head right there and just freely pray. Pray like this, dear God. I confess to you that I'm a sinner. It's not easy for me to acknowledge that, but I do, and I am. And I'm sorry for my sin. And Jesus, I believe you are everything the Word of God says. The Son of God, come down to be the Savior of the world and the King that we've always looked for. And this morning, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Wash me and cleanse me and make me clean. Jesus, I'm trusting in you and your death, burial, and resurrection. You you substituted yourself for me. You died for me, rose for me, that I might have life eternal. So God, I ask you to forgive me and wash me and cleanse me this morning because of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, I want to say to you that I accept you as my Savior and my King on this last Sunday of the year. And I want to live for you going forward. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior and my King. I give you all that I am and all that I have. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for saving me today. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand to our feet. Our time is about expired this morning or way past expired. But thank you for listening and worshiping with us. Next Sunday we'll start a new series on discipleship. God willing, we'll all be together again. Let's go home with joy and a song in our heart this morning.